This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. We're glad that you're joining us again this Sunday as we are online only. This week we're in our second week of a series where we're going to be looking through the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter was written to a group of people that were going through an unusually uh, difficult season. Uh, Persecution had scattered them all throughout the globe. And in this little book, Peter explains to them how they are to live their lives in this reality. And I think Um, particularly to us in this time. We've almost been in the reality we're in for two years now. And what we need is instruction in how to live in these uncertain days. And we might not be, we are not like the people who got this letter scattered all over the world, but many of us are going through a really great time of uncertainty. And for many of us, these uncertainties began well before covid Maybe your marriage has been in trouble for some time or your job you're unsure of. Um, For others of us, it's relationships that we have that are not going very well or you have health problems, something you're struggling with that just won't go away. And um, 1 Peter helps us address uh, the issues of isolation and feeling alone. Um, As we come to 1 Peter, we want to come together and press into our common hope. You know, um, it's been said that cows, when cows uh, experience a storm, what they do is they all uh, run away. They try to outrun the storm and they separate from one another and go all over the place. If you're a rancher listening to this, you'll know that my technical terms are spot on. Said no one ever. Uh, But but what happens is when a storm comes, they think, oh, we're going to outrun this. So they try to outrun the storm. Inevitably, they cannot and they're left isolated and alone. But buffalo, they're different. When buffalo um, notice that a storm is coming, they don't try to outrun it. They actually gather together and they form a circle and they take turns being on the outside of that storm. And that actually has helped them create uh, stronger bonds. So when they're going through the storm, they're together. I I want to encourage us as a community to be not like uh, cows, but to be like buffalo Uh, We're not going to run away from the current storms that we're facing, but instead I want to encourage us to huddle together, to press in together, and to believe that uh, together we are stronger. Uh, Two summers ago, uh, many of you will remember that we studied the book of Ephesians, and Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we're to put on the whole armor of God. All of the Christian's armor is designed to protect you from battle, and this is uh, really important because it tells us that we are going to engage in battle. As Christians, we are going to engage in a fight, and we're not to run from it. We're actually to put on the armor of God and engage in that fight, and so uh, that's what I, I really want to encourage us to do. So last week, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 13, and we, uh, we began by... Uh, talking about how Peter explained the key identity of the people Peter's writing to. And maybe some of you will remember that last week we talked about what it means to live as an exile. Peter calls the people that he is writing, he calls them exiles. And an exile is someone from from, uh, one place temporarily taking up residence in another place. An exile is different than an immigrant. An immigrant wants to make the new place of residence their permanent home. But an exile isn't like that. They may have to live in this new place for a while, but their heart still belongs to their home country. 
An exile is also not a tourist. A tourist just passes through the new country with little uh, thought given to the people who live there or the place that they are, uh, just maybe some bemused curiosity. But Peter says we shouldn't be tourists either. We are exiles. We temporarily take up residence in a place that is not our permanent home. In other places in the book of 1 Peter, he says that we're foreigners, um, caring for it, investing it, but never losing our hope of our real home. What we saw last week was this. If you live as an exile, it means that you'll be different. Um, you might be interested to know how the word different is spelled in Greek. It's spelled like this, W-E-I-R-D. Weird. Not, not really. But what, what, it is, what it does mean that as Christians, because we're exiles, we must be different than the people around us. Um, and the question becomes for all of us then, are we living our lives in such a way that we're different from those that don't, don't have uh, heaven as their permanent home, that don't have the kingdom of God as their permanent place of residence? Uh, and I'm not talking today at all about being weird for the sake of being weird. We don't need more weirdness. We, we, need, we need people, though, who will live in a different manner. In, as we uh, carry on to 1 Peter chapter 1, though, Peter begins to outline how Christians are to live as exiles. He gives us some commandments, so to speak, uh, ways that we can live as exiles. And my hope for you is we just... Uh, talk over these next nine verses for a few minutes is that it would uh, cause you to actually say to the Lord, Lord, help me to live as an exile. Help me to live as somebody who is in this world, but not of it. Okay, so here we go. Verse 13, let's read it. It says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. The Greek in this verse actually tells us to get dressed up in fact, the New King James Version says it this way. It says, therefore, gird up your loins, gird up the loins of your mind, which is a real mind bender if you got to think about that one. But, but it basically, put, Peter is saying here, get dressed, get ready, be prepared. Um, I don't know uh, if you've ever come to an event not prepared properly. Like a few times I've gone to speak at events that I thought were casual and then I got there and everybody was like in a black tie event and I'm wearing like boots and it's really really uncomfortable as Albertans we know a little bit about being prepared I mean this week that we just came through may have been the coldest week this year it seems like it's so cold you can't breathe but have you ever explained to somebody who's not an Albertan who's coming to visit you in the winter hey you're gonna want to like dress warmly because it's cold here a couple of years ago, I had a friend come visit me and I told her this and we just happened to go through a cold snap when she got here and she got off the plane in a windbreaker, a windbreaker. <laughs> I, I was speechless and the whole time she's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. But you could see like you're taking her around all these places, totally unprepared. We're at Lake Louise, she is shivering. We're at Banff, she is shivering. We're basically going out of my garage, she's shivering. It's it, When you're not prepared, it is really difficult to do the things that you want to do. But this is exactly how many Christians live their Christian lives. We, we don't live prepared. We, don't, we aren't prepared for the battle. So we have a low view of God's word. We just think, well, if I get around to reading the Bible, I would. Or, oh, I've always been meaning to read the Bible. Or we have a really low view of prayer. 
So like if we have time or we're about to fall off a cliff, then maybe we'll engage in prayer. I want to encourage us to be a community of people that is prepared, that is fully dressed, fully ready to engage in battle. This is how we live as exiles. We're prepared. And Peter goes on to say that we're to be sober-minded as well. Now, while this um, is not talking about alcohol at all, he's saying be serious. Be serious about your faith. Don't um, just take it half-heartedly or light-heartedly. If you're going to be in exile, really live like an exile. And you're going to have to be serious about your faith. It can't be an add-on. It can't be value-added like um, you live your life and then you've got Jesus as a little rabbit's foot for good luck. For a lot of months, we've been talking about how humanism has crept into the church. And the way that it's crept into the church is we've decided that we're going to just have Jesus uh, live our lives and plus Jesus. But the Bible never calls us to that kind of living. Peter reminds us here that we are to be prepared. You are in a battle, whether you want to admit that you are or not. We know that we're in a battle, and so we must be prepared. And that's we're prepared not to fight other people. We're prepared to fight the enemy and, and to set people free and to see people set free. Okay, so then Paul goes on uh, in verse 13. So he says, be sober, keep your minds alert. The second thing he tells us to do is anchor your hope. It's, he says in the NIV, it says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. In every other version, and when you look at the original context of this passage, it says this, set all your hope, the NRSV says, set all your hope. And we spent a lot of time on this last week, but Peter is again urging us, whenever the Bible talks about something more than once, you, you, you need to pay attention because he's urging us to set our hope exclusively, exclusively on the God who has promised us an eternal inheritance. And what's that? What, what is that hope? It's that we have the hope that we're going to know Christ, that we're going to be like him, and that we're going to be with him. He says, don't, when he's talking about set all your hope, he's saying, don't, don't water it down. That's, that's the word picture we get here. Don't water down your hope. And um, Christians, we, we often water down our hope in Jesus. Um, we set our hope or happiness on things other than God, when God, and, and with the idea that God needs to provide them for us so that we can be happy. Um, you know, I, you can hear it in our own internal dialogue when we say things like this, I'm happy to be a Christian, I'm happy to know Jesus, but I need, and you fill in the blank. So let me ask you this, what do you feel like God has to provide for you in order for you to feel like he has fulfilled his promises to you? In other words, what has to happen in your life for you to feel like God loves you and is keeping his promises to you? Now, to be fair and to be honest, there are a lot of things that I am asking God for. There are a lot of things. I've, I've had to wrestle this to the ground. Even this week, I was wrestling this myself to the ground. God, there are a lot of things I'm asking you for. But my hope is in knowing Christ and being known by him. So if I do without some of the things that I've asked God for, I won't feel dissatisfied. I will, I will still be able to say my hope is in Jesus Christ. Everything I do, my hope is anchored to him. You know, Romans 8.28, we quote this verse a lot. Um, 
if you've been in the church at all, you might have heard this verse. And it says, for we know all things work together for good for those that are called according to his purpose. And we use this verse a lot. We cherry pick it a lot and we talk about it. You know, things are kind of going off the rails and well, God is going to use this for my good and turn it around for me. And yes, we believe that. But we often forget to, to memorize it in context of verse 29. Because verse 29 says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the likeness or to the image of his son. The point is this, is that God's working all things for your good, but not so that you can pay off your mortgage or have an easy breezy life. No, he's working all things for your good. And what is your high, what is the highest good he's calling you to? To be conformed to the image of his son. At the end of the day, our hope must be anchored to the person of Jesus. Okay, so we anchor our hope, we, we get prepared, and then and then we're reminded not to look back. Verse 4, it says this, like obedient 14, like obedient children, don't be conformed to the desires that you formerly had um, in ignorance. You know, before we knew Christ, our life aspirations grew out of a wrong way of thinking about the world. But when we came to know Jesus, everything changed. And the truth is in this scripture, uh, Peter's reminding us that it's easy to go back to those ways of life. And whatever your uh, particular uh, easy thing to go back to is. For some of us, it's romance. For others of us, it's we want to be the best and we want to be the brightest at something. For others of us, it's confidence. We want to come across like we're strong and powerful. For others of us, maybe it's just that we want to be liked. But whatever, whatever the case may be in your life, Peter is saying here, don't go back to the ways of life. I think about that scripture in Genesis when Lot and his wife God says, hey, listen, I'm going to get you out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be no more, but I'm going to let you out. Only don't look back. And we know from scripture that what happens is, is they're running. Lot's wife, for whatever reason, looks back at a nostalgia out of, I think it was better back there. And we know that she turned into a pillar of salt, the book of Genesis tells us. And this is a really good picture for us to to hold on to today because oftentimes God has saved us and then we spend much of our lives looking back, falling back into our old ways of being. And that uh, never works. Um, Peter, Peter says here, you have to recognize that this way of living doesn't work. I don't know if you had a chance to, over any of these last two years, watch the Michael Jordan special. If you've listened to me at all, you know that like basketball is sort of like a an aging hobby for me now, but it's a hobby that I still like to follow. So I watched that Michael Jordan, um, that Michael Jordan bio biography um, about about his run with the Chicago Bulls, and he was quite. I mean, he's still. You can argue with me this. He's still better than LeBron James. There's nobody that has been better than Michael Jordan. You can you can email me your points about this. But but what I was struck by in watching that documentary is that he had everything. He was at the top of his game. He had some of the most money in sports, the best deals. Uh, he was famous. Everybody knew him. And yet there still seemed to be an emptiness. See, our old ways, no matter what we, the old way of living never cuts it. Some of us have grown up in the church all of our lives and we've never actually been away from Jesus. And sometimes that can cause us to say, well, I, I wonder... Like if it's different on the other side, I, all you need to do is follow a few celebrities 
who have fame and money and fortune to know that it can never be that. Katy Perry, um, on her Instagram a few years ago, wrote this. She said, I've had 100, she wrote 100 million digital singles and still insecure. Who you are as a person, you will never find security. You'll never find real and lasting joy until you put your trust in Jesus and maybe you're listening today and you have put your trust in Jesus, but if you're honest, you would say, there are things that I am trying to grasp for, old ways of life that I'm trying to lean into. Today, I, I want to encourage you right in this moment, right in this place to say, God, I, I'm, I'm renouncing that. I'm going after you in 2022. I'm going to stop continually running back to whatever it is, whether it be affirmation or whether it be power or, or whatever, whatever your need is. And you would say, Jesus, I, I just want you this year. Okay, so we don't look back. And then Peter, um, in, verse, in verse 15, starts to get real serious on us. He says this, Instead, as one who has called you, instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And that's found in Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 through 45. We're going to talk about the, why it's important that we know that it's coming from Leviticus. But this idea of holiness, it's, it's a bit of a strange word for most Canadians. And it's not a really attractive word either. When I had been in ministry just uh, probably about 10 years, our youth pastor uh, was going to preach. And I, I said to him, you're going to preach two weeks. You're going to, you're going to try to do a series. And, you know, part of it is just to grow and give young leaders a chance to um, spread their wings. And he decided to do a series called Holiness Part 1 and Holiness Part 2. And I remember sitting in the chairs going, oh no, this is going to be difficult. Not because I was against the word holiness, but I understand that when we say holiness in the Canadian context, people get like a little bit nervous because people, the word conjures up images of something sterile and boring. Um, bright, colorless light, or sanctimonious, pious, prudish kind of people. You know, we have sayings in our English language like, oh, you're being holier than thou. This idea that holy people are ki kind of awful. But I want us to think about holiness differently today. I want us to think of it as wholeness. This is actually where we get the English word whole from. Um, holiness is holy, perfect goodness. Holy, perfect justice, holy, perfect integrity, holy, perfect love. And we are attracted to that, right? I think particularly as we think about the word holy, perfect justice this week where we've had lots of court in the, in the last couple of weeks, so court cases have come out and you think about the verdict and you think, I don't know, was it fully just? I'm not sure. But holiness, when God calls us to holiness, he's calling us to holy, perfect living, and this is a beautiful thing. This is something that everybody wants. Nobody says about their marriage, I don't, I don't really want it to be, I don't want it to be whole. I want it to be sort of fractured. I'm kind of more into a fractured family look. Like none, none of us starts out in life saying that. So holiness is not about being pious or prudish. It's about being whole. And God is pure goodness, pure goodness. So things like injustice, impurity, and deception are repulsive to him. Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk, uh, verse 113 says that he is of such pure eyes that he cannot behold evil. 
this, this doesn't mean that he can't actually see evil or that it's invisible to him. It means that he has a visceral reaction. He cannot look upon it. Um, this is what God is like with all unholiness. The Hebrew word for holy is the word kodesh, and it literally means to cut away. Um, this means that we as Christians, as exiles, as Peter's talking about, should be cut away from the world, should be separate from the world, totally different. We should seem totally weird to everyone around us because you're literally cut from a different cloth. And, and again, I, I will say this uh, quite clearly today. It, if you don't seem weird to everyone around you, if the people you work with and the people that don't know Jesus don't say, hey, there's something different about you, I can't quite figure it out, isn't it possible that you're more like the world than like God? And isn't it possible that perhaps you've never experienced this God and that you're still a member of the world's family and not God's? These are difficult words, but I, I want to recall us back to the author of First Peter. Of First Peter, It's the Apostle Peter. Peter was a guy who just told it like it was and put it right out there. And even in chapter one, he's telling it like it is. I am concerned as a pastor, it just not even as a pastor, as a Christian, that, uh, that we have become bedmates with the world, that we no longer talk about things like holiness, like we no longer hold ourselves to a, to a higher standard, that in, in fact we lean into hedonism and say, well, that's just the way that it has to be in the 21st century. But Peter's asking us here, are we, are we in sync with the world or are we out of sync? And I... I would suggest that we need to be out of sync with the world in a few ways. Let me ask you just a few questions. Are you out, are you out of sync uh, financially? Are you out of sync with the world? So it's interesting that this passage is taken from Leviticus chapter 11. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 11, this is the chapter where God says, listen, Israelites, who were farmers at the time, when you harvest your field, don't harvest the outer edges of the field. Uh, leave those for the poor and for the foreigner amongst you. Now, um, these were not different times than we're living in now. Farmers back then were concerned with um, their return on investment, that they would get all of the crops out because that meant more money for them, more provision for their families. But right at the beginning, when God was creating his community of people, he said, you're not going to live like the rest of the world. You're going to actually use your finances and your resources in a different way. And it's interesting that, that Peter here is quoting this scripture. It, it harkens us back to ask ourselves the question, are we in sync with the world's finances where we grab all we can for ourselves, where we live beyond our means, where we are trying to get material possessions, or are we living differently? Are we out of sync uh, with the world's finances? Second question I have is this, are we sexually out of sync with the world? world? Uh, Augustine uh, uh, said this. He said Christians are most out of sync with the world in three things, in three areas, and he talks about these uh, quite extensively in his book Confessions. He said power, money, and sex. We, we should be out of sync, totally out of sync with the world in these three things. And we talked about money, um, but the, the world is stingy with money and promiscuous with sex, right? So like I'm going to keep all the money to myself. I'm going to give all the sex away, but Christians actually should have the opposite view. We should be generous or promiscuous with our money, giving it to where it is needed, and stingy with our sex. This is the way of the Lord. And, and we do this because we know that sex represents a love like God's love. And when you give yourself entirely to someone, 
Um, this, this is the picture that sex is, and we know that our resources are to be used like Jesus's, so we give them away. I know this is not a particularly um, popular thing to talk about right now, but I, I, I do know this is why we follow the scriptures and not just um, what's easy to talk about. We, we actually must be people who are holy when it comes to our sexuality. And I want to, I, I know that we're... Um, Evangelical Christians particularly are uptight over a lot of ways that, um, that our culture is going sexually. And I, I'm not going to comment on those things today, except for to say this, that I, I believe that as a people, we must be people who focus in on our covenant relationship. So if you're in a marriage, that you would stay faithful in that covenant relationship, that you would stay um, that you would be about fidelity. This is the way of the kingdom. And I think that if we would focus on fidelity and covenant and holiness in the relationships that we have, uh, that God would honor that and, um, and that we would see uh, healing come to many of our families. Listen, if you're a young person watching, you're a young adult watching, our church has had some explosive growth with young adults. I, I just want to call you to be holy in your relationships with people. As you're looking to date people and, and um, get married at some point, I want to call you to holiness because this is what the Word of God calls us to. And perhaps um, this brings conviction to some of our hearts. I, I um, Right in this moment, this is where God is so gracious and good. When we have not lived holy he helps us to do this. This is not something we are, are not called to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, but we are called to say, God, this area of my life is not holy. I'm asking that you would help, help me to walk in your holiness. Um, okay, and then finally, um, are you out of sync with the world and how you handle anger or frustration? So how do people in the world handle anger? Will they rage, they go for vengeance, or they avoid, um, they avoid conflict, so they harbor grudges and they gossip? Um, but what did Christ do? He never sought vengeance. He confronted selflessly and patiently and mercifully, and he forgave and moved on, and he kept no, records, no record of wrongs. I want to encourage us to be those kinds of people that, that are out of sync in how we handle conflict. Listen, there's too many things that are at stake. We, we're remembering, and we're going to come to this in just a second, but at the end of the day, no matter what we're dealing with right now, everything fades away but Jesus. So that thing you're really, really mad about right now, that way that that person hurts you, I, I'm, not, I'm not negating that you were hurt, but I, I want you to see it in light of eternity this morning. The flowers are going to fade. The world that we're currently living in is going to fade away, but Jesus is going to remain. So let's ask him to make the way that we deal with one another holy and beautiful. Finally, in verse 22, Apostle Peter says, Now that you have been purified... Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the bottom of your, from, from your heart. So the last command is love. And we do this because we're part of a new community, a new family, united by common salvation and common hope. This is why the gathering matters. It doesn't matter because of programs or buildings or all, all of that is just uh, accoutrements. What really matters is that we would love each other as a community because we have the common hope of Jesus. The gospel gives us a remarkable ability to love people. This is not trying to love people like I, like on Monday morning when you don't feel very loving. This is about the gospel, the power of the gospel working through you. 
And I want to call us to that since we have, since we have, it's interesting the wording here is that since we have been transformed by Jesus, since that we, since our souls have been purified, this is talking about the cleansing power of Jesus that you have no ability to do on your own. So this is kind of good. You're kind of off the hook here. We actually just make ourselves available to God to say, God, would you cleanse me? Would you purify me? So now since we have been purified, now we can love like this. So, so Peter says, so love each other, love each other deeply and from your heart. And that's what we're praying for today, that God would cause us to love each other. Because at the end of the day, as the last scripture says, it says, all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fa- falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word, and then it says that word is the good news that was announced to you. This is the word of the Lord, that Jesus has come, that we have relationship with him, that by saying, Jesus, would you purify me, that he comes in and does that, we become more like him, and we get to look forward to a life with him forever. So no matter what you're faced with today, I want to encourage you. Maybe you're watching, and maybe this is the first time you've watched church in a long time, or been anywhere part of a church community, just in this moment, I want to encourage you to say, Jesus, would you come and purify my heart so that I could live like you, so that I could be holy like you, so that I could be anchored to the hope that I have in you. And you know, uh, the Bible tells us that if we come close to God, if we take a step towards God, that he comes close to us. And that's a wonderful promise we have. Maybe you're watching today and you resonate with this idea of being an exile, but if you're honest, you'd say, I'm not, I haven't been living as an exile. Maybe you've been living as an immigrant or a tourist. You know, you've been trying to take roots. You've tried to put your roots down um, in this, this world. But today you're saying, God, I, I want to live like an exile. I want to live like somebody who is holy and who loves people and whose hope is anchored to you. Today, I'm praying that God would cause you to be prepared for battle. Just right now, even as, even as you're watching right now, I just believe that God is stirring some of your hearts to be prepared for battle like you have never been before. We are definitely living in unprecedented days. We are living in days where we must be prepared. And I'm praying that more than ever that we'd get a hunger for God's word because it's his word that's going to endure forever, that we would get a hunger for the things of God that holiness wouldn't be a burden to us, but that in fact it would be a great joy. It would be our great joy to live for our King who has given everything to us. Would you just pray with me now? And I'm just believing that God's going to invade the place that you're watching. I'm, I'm believing that God's going to show up in a supernatural way uh, in your home and that, that he is going to be the one that helps us to live as exiles. God, I thank you for this church community. I thank you for every person who's watching right now. Thank you for every uh, mom and dad and um, teenager, young adult who's watching. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would stir us in these days to be so fixed on you, to have our hope, all of our hope anchored to you, that people around us couldn't help but see that we are different. I pray that you'd help us to live as exiles, God, and may we love extravagantly because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.